Hey everybody, how you doing? And welcome to another live stream. We're rocking here on Facebook and on YouTube. Doing the live stream here on the John Riley Project and got a number of topics that we want to get into today. Try to keep this short and compact, but I got a couple of interesting things to talk about. We're going to get into a little bit about electric vehicles and what's the marketplace like? Have you been out on any of the dealer lots? Well, I have, and I'll tell you, it's something. And there's a, the market is kind of whacked out. So I want to share with you some of my experiences um, doing a little car shopping right now in the middle of a supply chain crisis and what that really is like. Um, I'm also going to have you know, a couple of other updates. We're going to talk a little bit about President's Day since that's what today is. And... Um, uh, some updates on, on some of the crazy stuff going on with my YouTube channel. Um, just had a huge surge in subscribers. I want to share some stories there as well. And if we have time, we may even get into some local issues here in my hometown of Poway. Um, so, you know, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to type in your questions and comments on Facebook or on YouTube, and I'll be happy to read them on the air. We'll have a bit of a conversation, have some fun. Uh, but I uh, hope you're enjoying your day on President's Day. Um, and, uh, you know, anyways, let's let's get into the yeah, let's get into the the uh, car shopping issue. And, you know, by the way, you know, the news is breaking this morning. I saw that we're having the highest gas prices ever in the history of San Diego County. Um, and what is it, like $4.74 a gallon? Um, I, they were showing pictures of gas prices at four ninety nine or over $5 a gallon. I saw a photo of a Chevron station, you know, when they put those uh, plastic numbers up on the sign by the, you know, the street corner. Um, they ran out of the number five and they were putting upside down number twos just to make it work because the price of gas is just so insane. And for me, I drive an electric car. And so for the most part, I don't really pay attention to gas prices. But, you know, it's all in the news right now. And, you know, everything's going up in price. Inflation's going crazy. And, you know, it, to me, this is one of the great things about owning an EV is that, you know, when the whole world is zigging, man, I'm zagging. When the whole world is burdened with high gas prices, you know, we're charging our cars and powering it with solar panels on the roof of our house. So to me, this has always been something I, I've taken a lot of pride in is playing the game um, to essentially take advantage of all of the incentives that are available out there in the marketplace incentives that come from companies that come from the government, etc., to sort of maximize your position to play the game effectively. But, you know, I know what how many what percentage of the cars on the road are EVs? It's got to be like maybe 2% and we know that number's growing very aggressively right now. So, you know, 95 plus percent of people are really burdened by these high gas prices and they're sh they're talking about stories where people are spending 80 bucks to fill up their car. And yeah, that's nuts. I remember back, gosh, it was about 20 years ago. And I was driving a Chevy Silverado pickup. This is way before I was into EVs. And that had a 26 gallon tank on it. And even back then in the, in the early 2000s, the price of gas got to be $4 or more per gallon. And I remember it would frequently cost me over $100 to fill up my truck back then. And we would, I would go to some pumps and they would shut you off when, you're, you're, um, when you got up to $100. 
it, it just capped it because they were trying to minimize fraud. So it's um, it's crazy out there, friends, with with gas cars. So I, I know many of you are probably thinking, I don't need to do this anymore. Maybe now is the time to finally get an electric vehicle. And I'll tell you what, EVs are great. Um, I've been driving some version of an electric vehicle since 2012. And I'll tell you, I love the technology. I love all the incentives of driving an EV. Um, and I, I can, I, I love evangelizing that message here on the live stream. So <laughs> John Carson on, uh, here on the live stream, he comments, take a look at the carbon footprint report from Volvo. Exact same car, ICE versus EV. Okay, well, let, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, there are a lot of different reasons why a person might consider getting an electric vehicle. And for me, I'm not a tree hugger, okay? I'm not, I mean, you know, I appreciate and I respect the environment, but that's not my driving reason to, to drive an EV, um, the main reason that I drive an electric vehicle is, like I said, is to beat the system, is to take advantage of all of the opportunities. You know, by for us, what we do is since we power our cars with our solar panels on the roof of our home, we are effectively paying close to zero to 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 uh, for the energy in our car. Frequently, the electric portion of our San Diego gas and electric bill is near zero. So um, it's a great way to play the game. And then even when you're out there on the road, there's all kinds of free charging opportunities, some provided by corporations. Like when you go to the Target here in Poway, you park in front, there's free charging. And I just took a road trip um, in my EV up to Reno and Tahoe a few weeks ago. And you stop at some of the rest stops along the way and Caltrans has put in high speed charging stations that you can use for free. You just plug in and push one button and go. Um, there's so many great opportunities to do it. And so for me, John, I get your point. Sometimes the way some of these cars are built, it may not necessarily be the most environmentally friendly construction of the vehicle. Some people, you know, will will comment on the batteries and how environmentally friendly are they. Well, I could tell you, Gosh, it was probably six years ago when I got a BMW i3, and that's one of the little EVs that BMW put together. Those were actually constructed in a factory that was hydroelectric powered, um, and they did a lot of recycling um, for a lot of the parts and a lot of the fabrics that were built into the interior of the car. And from a construction perspective, it was actually pretty green. Um, it was nice. And I think a lot of this is going to be changing over time. But again, to my point earlier is, you know, a lot of anti-EV folks love to kind of, you know, slam EVs because they're not as environmentally friendly as people think. But for me, that's not my motivation. My number one motivation is to take advantage of all the financial incentives. My second motivation in driving an EV is they're so damn fun to drive. I mean, they're fast. They're quick. Um, they've got all the new technology, all the toys inside, the big flat screens inside. They're great to drive. They're a lot of fun. And then, oh, by the way, they're good for the environment. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, I talk to some of my progressive friends, my friends on the left, that enjoy talking about climate change and what a crisis this is. And 
I agree. We have a climate change crisis and, you know, sea levels are rising and they're forecasted to rise a lot more aggressively. And the science, the data is pretty clear. But what I often find is that my friends on the left like to talk the talk, but won't walk the walk. You know, so um, I think it's important to do that is to is to walk the walk, especially if you're preaching a particular political message. So, um, yeah, John has a couple more comments here. Not environmentally friendly at all. Lithium production negates most everything else. And yeah, that's a fair point. But you know what? I think as the as technology improves, I suspect we're going to see more battery recycling. And I, I, I suspect also that we're going to see um, new technologies come forward that maybe we can build higher capacity batteries without using lithium. Now, I don't have any of the scientific data on this, but I just know that the nature of human progress, the nature of innovators, humans are always coming up with new ways, new and better ways to do things. And so I think we're going to start seeing this, especially as there is a need to find cleaner ways to build these products, as there is a need to recycle all the batteries that come off of these EVs. I think we're going to start seeing better solutions there. Um, John goes on the comment. <laughs> that being said, do what you want, freedom. Yeah, so I think um, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of electric vehicles, and I've, I've done a number of podcasts all about them. You know, my wife drives a uh, Tesla Model 3, and then I drive a Hyundai Kona electric vehicle. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today is, uh, is I'm, I'm in the market for a new EV. So I lease my EV um, and I have a small business and I lease my car through my business and my lease is expiring and I have to turn in my car in mid-April. So I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do? And, you know, I have a number of options. And what I've typically done when I've leased vehicles is that when the lease ends, I turn it in. And I get a new car. And for me, it's exciting because every two or three years I get a new car, the newest technology, and it's like having a new toy. And I enjoy that. Um, and it's a nice way to sort of upgrade my own personal environment. It makes me feel good about myself, that I'm treating myself well. Um, but the other option is that, you know, you can always buy your car at the end of the lease. Um, so you've got a number of, of options available to you. Uh, so I'm, I'm out there looking for new electric vehicles and, you know, there's a whole range of cars that are available out there. I mean, of course there are all the Teslas, but the Teslas have, uh, right now they're going on between a 14 and 20 week lead time. So what is that? Like, you know, three and a half to five months, you got to place the order and then they, they are produced in three and a half to five months until you get your order. Um, so I was considering that, but my, my wife's already driving a Tesla. I didn't want to have a Tesla as well. I wanted to try something different. Um, and, you know, with the Teslas, they have a, what they have, the Model S, the Model, was it the Y, I think? And then there's, of course, the Model 3. And the Model 3 is the most economical of, the, of those. You know, the Model S and Y, I mean, those are $80,000 and up. And that's not really the place that I like to be when I, when I spend money on a vehicle. You know, there's, of course, a lot of other higher priced EVs that are out there from from Audi and Jaguar. Um, and then, of course, Rivian and a lot of these EV only brands are coming out with new products. But I'm trying to find something that's more in the price range between 
35 and $55,000, depending on the type of car that you buy and the options you want. And in that zone, the Tesla Model 3 is one of the main vehicles, as well as my existing car, the Hyundai Kona, um, which has gotten great reviews. But the new one that's on the market is the Hyundai Ioniq 5. Um, and then its sister car, the Kia EV6, those are both basically have the same fundamental technology because they're sister companies, kind of like Audi and Volkswagen are sister companies. Um, so um, I was considering, yeah, the Hyundai Ioniq 5, the Kia EV6, and then I was looking at Volkswagen has the ID4. And then, of course, the Ford Mustang Mach-E is another car that it looks pretty exciting. It's gotten great reviews. So I've been out visiting some of my local dealerships here in San Diego County. And the market is whack. The market is insane right now. And maybe you've heard some of these stories in the news. Maybe you've talked to some friends. But I just want to share my personal experience. So... You know, I was trying to do a little car shopping online, and usually you can make a little bit of progress there. But because the market is so wacky, they're obviously trying to get you to get into the dealership and talk to them. And I figured, okay, I'll play along. And so here in my hometown of Poway, there's a Hyundai dealer. And I figured, okay, I'm going to go down there and check them out and see what they got with this Hyundai Ioniq 5, which is a great car. It's gotten fantastic reviews. Um, the vehicle is one of the exciting things is, is that it'll charge from zero to 80% in only 18 minutes. So they've dramatically increased the, the speed to charge your car. Plus it has all the newest technology. It'll go, I think it's a 300 mile or close to 300 mile range. It looks to be a great car. Well, I go in there and I talk to the, one of the sales reps and he's sharing with me all the details about the car. We don't start price yet. And he's Hype in the car. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know a lot about it. We go down to sit down to talk about pricing. And they're selling these cars for above MSRP. Now, I've been down this path before. When I got my Hyundai Kona EV three years ago, it was the hot EV at the time. And every dealership I went to was asking 4000 over MSRP, 5000 over MSRP, in some cases as much as 8000 over MSRP. I eventually found a dealership here in San Diego County, Frank Hyundai down in National City, that sold it at MSRP, which I was pleased with, um, which is amazing. You know, you're happy that you're getting the list price, which in the world of car shopping is funny. Um, but here, they're, they're getting far greater than MSRP. And he was not willing to negotiate one iota. They have uh, a pretty solid allocation of cars. I think they have like 35 Ionic 5s coming in. They've pre-sold, I think, two-thirds of them. Um, and everyone's paying that top dollar for it. I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. Let me go look around. So um, I go down to the Kia dealer here. And I, was, I happened to be um, driving about, and I went down to the Kia dealership in El Cajon. Figure it's kind of a nice little quiet dealership, should be low stress, should be easy. And they've got the Kia EV6 on the lot. And it's a beautiful car. Um, it's, it's kind of like the Hyundai Ioniq 5, but it's probably a little more sexy. It's a little bit more, um, yeah, it, a sexy is a better word for it. it it's a more exciting vehicle. 
And I'm talking to the sales rep there. He's again hyping up the car and everything. And then I look at the at the sticker on the side of the car. They're asking $15,000 over MSRP. And I I couldn't believe it. And and yeah, he told me he goes, "Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're at, it's 15,000 over MSRP." And he says, "Look over there." And he pointed to the other side of the lot and he showed me like there were about I don't know, six to eight cars. And he said, that is my new inventory of gasoline cars. He says, we have so few cars available to sell. So that's part of the reason why we're asking 15,000 over MSRP. The market is so out of whack. There's so much, so little supply and there's still a pretty solid demand. And so they're getting it. And I was, I said, you know, hey, thanks, Really, but no thanks. I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be paying 15 over MSRP. And, you know, he kept, you know, of course, as a, as a typical auto salesperson, he was like, well, what if we dropped it by 5,000? What if we came down even as much as 10,000? I'm like, you know, no thank you. So at this point, this is confirming pretty much everything that I had experienced when I was shopping for the car online because I wanted to go to the dealerships and see it firsthand. So, okay. So then I'm feeling discouraged and I'm thinking, you know what? It probably makes sense for me, maybe me to, to buy out the lease in my existing car, especially since the market value of my car, because not only are new cars really expensive and the MSRP well, the, the sale price is higher than MSRP, but for used cars, used cars are crazy expensive too. So in my case, the buyout on my lease is actually very attractive. I mean, I could buy my lease out and then next day flip my car and make a lot of money. So I'm thinking to myself, that's probably what I want to do. But at the same time, I just enjoy getting a new car every three years as, you know, as part of my system that I've been doing now for like the last 10 or 11 years um, with these EVs, which I really love driving. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to one more lot and I'm going to go check out the Ford Mach-E. And this is one that's gotten, again, great reviews, which is exciting. You know, hey, an American dealer getting really good reviews for EVs, you know, good on them. One of my earlier EVs that I had was the Ford C-Max. Um, and I had that from 2012 till about 2015. And that was a pretty good car. Um, so I'll give Ford credit back then. It was uh, back then, this is earlier EV technology. It was 21 miles of electric range. And then after those 21 miles, it became a plug-in hybrid. So it was a hybrid kind of like a Prius where it would use gas and electric um, in combination to maximize, um, you know, fuel efficiency. And I really liked that car. It was a little bit funky. It kind of had a weird funky hatchback because of the battery size. And, but um, I was good with it. And so I figured, okay, if Ford's got this new Mach-E, let's go check it out. Well, I knew right away that I was going to have some trouble because I had talked to one of the Ford dealerships online saying, yeah, they're they're selling for over MSRP, and there there's like a six to nine month wait on these cars, and I and I kind of knew that going in, but I wanted to at least talk to the local dealer. There's a I live in Poway. There's a Ford dealership here in Poway, so I went and visited them. Had a conversation there with the guy, and 
he had no none of the Machis were on the lot, but he had one of them that was a customer car that was there on service, and he let me check it out. Beautiful car, it looks really nice, and he confirmed what I had I had heard earlier. These cars are like a six to nine month waiting list. You go online, place your order, just like when you're buying a Tesla, and then you de- you decide which dealership do you want that car delivered to, and then you take possession of the car from the dealership. But he said, yeah, if you buy it online, you're going to also be paying more than MSRP. And I can't remember how much it was, but I think it was somewhere between like five and $8,000 over MSRP for this car. And it was, it's just further evidence that the market is just so skewed, so out of whack. Um, And we, we talked a little bit about that and he, it was very interesting. He's a very knowledgeable salesperson. Um, I'll give this gentleman a lot of credit. And we had a really good conversation. And obviously, a lot of this is being driven by the whole supply chain mess, right? Um, especially with the newer cars require you know, semiconductors, which are really hard to get because of the disruption in the market, because of the stay-at-home um, orders and the uh, shutdowns of business, that People stopped buying cars, and what they ended up doing was buying a lot more consumer electronics so they can go on Zoom calls or set up podcasts like what I'm doing. Um, so a lot of the semiconductor developers or manufacturers have been building them for specs for things other than cars. And there's a limited number of those suppliers, which, by the way, if <laughs> if we go back, you know, to 2016, when I had the presidential election and one of the hot button topics at the time was TPP. Remember that it was the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And Trump was down on TPP. He hated it. Hillary eventually came down against it, too. But TPP was a good thing. If if we had the Trans-Pacific Partnership, it would have opened up a lot more nations that we could have had better trade agreements with in Southeast Asia that would have provided a competitive threat or a dynamic force against China. We would have been better off with TPP, but politically, especially with a lot of the nationalism in America and the politicians didn't want to pursue it, probably because they wanted to get elected. But to me, that that was a flawed policy decision. Well, at any rate, there's a lot less semiconductor manufacturers that we can choose from. And that's why we have this supply chain crisis, because the few that are available are building them for webcams and they're building semiconductors for a lot of other products where there's a lot more demand. So anyways, the guy at the Ford dealership was telling me that he doesn't think that the auto marketplace is going to stabilize back to you know so-called normal until probably sometime at the end of 2023. And he talked to one of his other customers who apparently was some kind of a financial expert, some kind of a, you know, maybe a, an economist of some form. And he, this other guy was saying that we may not see the, the auto market really restabilize until 2024. So there's going to be – this thing is going to drag on for a long time. It's going to be a serious problem. So – I didn't get a chance to go by the Volkswagen dealership because I know I'm going to probably get the same story. So now I'm at the point now where I'm just going to buy out my car. I'm just going to buy the lease on it. And, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have a really good EV. My, my Hyundai Kona is a great car. It, it gets 
according to the specification, 258 miles of range. But the way I drive it, I can get well over 300 miles of range because I don't drive it aggressively. Um, and so I know how to kind of milk it. I know how to maximize my efficiency. It's all kind of kind of the fun of driving an EV. It's like driving a video game. You have all the all these, um, how should I say, uh, the dashboard is gives you a lot more information that you would normally get in a traditional gas car. And that's part of the fun for me is to try to beat the system, to try to maximize the way that I drive to minimize energy usage and ultimately play the game so I don't have to pay $5 a gallon for gas. So I, I like that. To me, it's it's my perverse way of having some, some fun. Um, so the good news is for me is that at least I have a good option to choose from. But I'm just just sharing with you, if you've been out on a dealership, it's it's crazy. Oh, and by the way, when I was at the Ford dealership in Poway, he showed me a Ford Bronco. You know, the, have you seen those? They're pretty cool. The new Ford Broncos, they kind of look like the old Ford Broncos from the 70s. He said that the, the new Ford Bronco on their lot was selling for $25,000 over MSRP. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it's just insane. Um, and he's and his the salesperson's logic to this whole thing is that they're selling way less cars because there's way less inventory available. And now, granted, keep in mind this is from their perspective. They need to sell the cars for a higher dollar amount so they can better cover all of their fixed costs for their business and all their employee costs. And yeah, I get it; that makes sense. But really. That's just the nature of a supply and demand market, right? In a marketplace where supply is low and demand is is good or maybe even strong, prices are going to go up and they're going to go up a lot more than MSRP. And so that's that's what's going on out in the market. And so I just wanted to share that with you. And I'm always interested in your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type them into the live stream on YouTube or onto Facebook. But um, now is not the time to be shopping for a car. But now is a great time if you have extra cars. I know sometimes people, I, I, I'm always amazed by this, but sometimes there are households that have more cars than there are people in the house. If you happen to be one of those families, now is a great time to unload one of those vehicles because you can get top dollar for them. Um, okay, let's move along. Um, I want to get into a few more things. Um, but here, here's one thing I, I do want to mention is one of the ways you could really help out this podcast. And like I, I often ask, you know, if you could like the podcast episode, that's always helpful. Um, that helps the algorithms. If you click on the like button on Facebook or YouTube, um, sharing the podcast is always a wonderful thing uh, to spread the word. So we have more people that can enjoy the podcast and, and, and then you can also subscribe. And, and that's a wonderful way to help, you know, build what we're trying to do here with the John Riley Project. At the same time, a, a couple other things you can do if you're interested. If you would like to support the podcast um, and and provide a financial um, uh, incentive to the podcast, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. You can go on the donate uh Go to the menu. There's a donate button. You can click there and you can donate five bucks, 10 bucks. You can donate five or 10 bucks one time or every month, you know, whatever you choose to do. And the dollars that we generate from those donations will be plowed right back into the podcast to, you know, advertise, to 
do additional marketing to try to grow the podcast and, and make it an even better product. So that's another thing you can do. And then finally, another great thing you can do if you're interested is to go on to Apple Podcasts um, and leave a rating and review of five stars if you think we deserve it. And if you do leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on the air. And I'll read one of them on the air right now. And this is a five-star review um, that we got. And this, this is some crazy handle. It's not like an actual person's name. But this person said, hey, I was just in the live stream. I've been looking for some local podcasts to get news from, and you didn't disappoint. And hey, thanks a lot for that. That's cool. Um, I appreciate that. And I do like to cover a lot of local issues in this podcast. It's kind of fun. There's not a lot of coverage of local issues. And I think that's something that we can provide value here. Um, Pat Johnson on the live stream, he says, I have five cars. <laughs> Pat, I saw that you just bought another vintage vehicle. Um, I think that's great. I mean, good for you. Where do you park them all? How can you have five cars? I mean, where do you have like a three-car garage and then park the other two in the driveway or on the street? I mean, and your insurance must be crazy covering five cars. That's amazing. I know you travel a lot for business. So, wow. Well, good on you. If you've got five cars, you're, you're on your way to being like Jay Leno, I guess. Maybe you need to buy a museum so you can house all your cars. Um, but yeah, to, now is a great time to sell if you've got a car. I'll tell you what. Um, Okay, so uh, I do want to talk about a few other things. I just want to make a couple of comments about President's Day. And, you know, who's your favorite president? And this is always an interesting question. And, you know, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. And I'll tell you what, the presidents that we've had, especially this century, in my opinion, not good. Not good at all. Um, and so it's interesting to think about, you know, who's the best president? And this is all you always see these kinds of um, comments online and everyone's got an opinion. There's there's different people that do stack rankings of presidents. Um, and a lot of it's subjective. I mean, there's obviously some very bad presidents we can all identify. Um, but who's your favorite president? If you have one, list them in the live stream. I'd be interested in, in knowing. Um, Jason Lee on the live stream says, hello. How you doing, Jason? Um, now, for me, let's just look, I'm just going to talk about the presidents during my lifetime. OK. And first president uh, when I was born was LBJ. Um, LBJ, the architect of the Great Society, uh, which, you know, has added layers and layers of additional government bureaucracy and is part of the reason that we find ourselves in a major, major debt as a nation, in my opinion. Also, um, someone that was part of the, the Vietnam War, which I thought was a terrible policy. LBJ is definitely not one of my f favorites. Um, Pat Johnson on the live stream chimes in Abe Lincoln and George Washington, right? Those are everyone always looks to those two. And and actually, that's why we have President's Day now, because George Washington's birthday is on February 22nd, which is tomorrow. And Abraham Lincoln's birthday, if I recall, is on February 11th. And And when I was a kid, when I was in school, we used to get both of those days off. I don't know if you remember that. Um, we got both days off and... Uh, and, and, and then sometime like in the seventies, they combined them into one <laughs> and kind of ripped us off. We lost a holiday. We lost a national holiday and they just call it president's day, uh, now. 
So, uh, yeah, Abe Lincoln and George Washington are always looked upon as 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 um, as some of the best presidents. I mean, Abe Lincoln kept the nation together. Abe Lincoln um, fought a war to free the slaves, although that really wasn't his motivation when he began the war. Um, but partway through the war, when they, he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, one of the greatest um, actions of liberty ever by a president. Um, yeah, Abe Lincoln, definitely one of the better ones, but he's got a dark side too. Abe Lincoln suspended habeas corpus, um, you know, which are our rights to um, to trial. Um, there's, a, there's a dark side to Abe Lincoln that is often not not commented on. Um, I should probably do a podcast about that sometime in the future. Um, Jason Lee says Eisenhower or Roosevelt. I mean, Eisenhower was, was he a good, I mean, granted the Vietnam war happened under Eisenhower's, um, regime. I mean, there was still a lot of racial unrest, um, during the Eisenhower years. Um, tax rates were insane during that time frame. Um, I mean, I don't know. Eisenhower, to me, doesn't strike me as one of the better presidents. Roosevelt, everyone loves FDR. But man, FDR had internment camps. He locked up Japanese Americans, American citizens of Japanese descent. Um, To me, Roosevelt, also uh, similar to LBJ, an architect of um, a lot of this insane expansion of government that we're seeing um, that costs so much and intrudes so much in our life. You know, this podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And frankly, a lot of FDR's policies, I don't think match that. Um, Pat Johnson on the live stream says, during my life, Ronald Reagan. Okay, well, now we're getting into the era of presidents during my lifetime. So let me go continue down that list. Oh, and then Pat goes on to say, and then Bill Clinton. So, okay, LBJ is out. Okay, who's after LBJ? Nixon. Okay, <laughs> you can't love Nixon, right? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, he he ramped up the Vietnam War, uh, took us off the gold standard, and of course, there was the Watergate scandal and lots of other things. Uh, by the way, um, I don't. It's been about five, six years ago. I went up to Yorba Linda up in Orange County and had a chance to go to the Nixon Library. That was a really cool visit. If you're into um, American history and want to learn more about our presidents, I, I can't recommend that one enough. And I, again, I'm no Nixon fan, but I loved it. Uh, so I'm hoping to get up to the Ronald Reagan Library, which is up in Simi Valley sometime. Um, I think that'd be terrific. Now, I, I know that there are, you know, it's funny, is about three or four years ago, I went to an Aztec basketball game up at Cal State Fullerton during the Thanksgiving holiday, and they were playing Creighton. Um, and the Aztecs had a great victory. It was a wonderful game. But I was waiting in line with a family, and they said that they came out not only because they were from Nebraska, they were Creighton fans, but they also are on a quest to visit every one of the presidential libraries. And so while they were in Southern California, they were going to go to the Nixon Library and to the Reagan Library. That's actually a pretty cool idea to go visit all of those. I'm personally working on a project to go visit all of the California missions. And I've, I've got about, I think, 13 out of the 21 done. So I've got eight more to go. Um, but maybe when I'm finished with that, going to all the presidential libraries, that could be a lot of fun. All right. So after Nixon, well, there was Ford, right? Ford, you know, didn't do a lot of damage. A lot of people don't like him because of the, um, you know, because he, he basically pardoned Nixon, Right. 
Then there's the Carter era. And Carter, you know, wonderful man, uh, but a very from a historical perspective, people either love him or hate him <laughs> uh, for a whole long list of reasons. And then there's Reagan. Reagan, his campaigning in 1980 was fabulous, but the way he governed didn't match the way he campaigned. Um, Reagan had all sorts of scandals, um, all sorts of challenges. Um, w or H.W. Bush got us into the, the first Gulf War. Um, and then, well, Clinton, we had, Clinton had his issues as well. Um, the, in my opinion, not a lot of great presidents during my lifetime. Um, Jason Lee on the live stream says, I heard that the tax for the super rich used to be over 80%. That was more than 70 years ago under other presidencies. Yeah, that was actually during Eisenhower the top marginal rate was as high as 90-something percent. Now, that doesn't mean they paid 90% of all their income. It was just that top layer of their total income. But really, if you look at the data back then, the top 1% of America had an effective total tax rate of in around 42%. Because no one paid 90-something percent. And back then, there were so many more deductions um, you could you could write off your interest on your auto loan. You could write off a three martini lunch. I mean, and that's just, you know, a couple of anecdotal ones. There was a lot more tax shelters, a lot more a lot more options to subtract income from uh, to make your reportable income a lot less. But no one ever paid over 80 or 90 percent. And if they did, very few, uh, very, very few did. Uh, Pat Johnson goes on, but Reagan was great for the military, and he was. I mean, if you were in the military, if you were a defense contractor, boy, Reagan was great <laughs> because all the spending on the military, and that was part of his strategy to to bankrupt the USSR, and and frankly, that worked. Um, but I know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you who my favorite president was in my lifetime, and it's definitely not Trump. Trump's probably my least favorite. Um, in fact, I. It seemed like from the 70s down, every president seemed to be worse than the previous one. Um, Bush was worse than Reagan, and I thought Clinton was worse than Bush, and George W. Bush was definitely worse than Clinton, and on down the road. And I think um, uh, it, it hit rock bottom with Trump, and now we got Biden, who's just a little bit better, but not much. Um, but really, I think my favorite president in my lifetime it's kind of a controversial choice, but I think it's Carter. Um, and the reason is, is that, first of all, Carter did very little damage compared to a lot of other presidents. Um, the national debt wasn't blown up. Um, now, granted, he was dealing with inflation, but a lot of that inflation was caused by some of the actions of Nixon in the early part of the 70s, you know, taking us off the gold standard. And there were a number of other decisions that were made prior to um, Carter. And then he put in place, you know, these high, the high inflation, which was, excuse me, the high interest rates, which was able to get inflation under control. And the fruits of that really weren't experienced until Reagan was elected. But the thing that I love about Carter more so than any other president is that he was the great deregulator. He deregulated trucking. He deregulated the airline industry that has led to lower prices and more competition. He also deregulated the beer industry. Okay. And this is a great story because um, uh, 
back in the 70s, there were only about, I don't know, 10 breweries, 20 breweries. There weren't that many. There were just the big ones, right? There was Anheuser-Busch. There was Miller Brewing. There was Coors. And there were probably a handful of others that might have been regional, but there were very few major breweries. Brewing your own beer at home was illegal. And starting up your own beer company was a bureaucratic nightmare. It was extremely difficult because of all the heavy regulations. Well, who benefits when there's very few breweries? Well, of course, the brewers that are still in business. Anheuser-Busch loved the fact that it was illegal to make beer at home. Loved the fact that small independent brewers found it so difficult to get started. Carter deregulated the beer industry, and we are way better off as a result, especially here in San Diego County, which is like the microbrew capital of the world. Um, there's so many microbreweries that have started here that have flourished here, like Stone Brewing and Ballast Point. I mean, we can make a there's a long list of brewers here in San Diego County. None of that would ever have been possible without Jimmy Carter. And I, I, I commend him for that. Um, so. You know, the Republicans are the ones that usually talk about that we're overregulated. And then what do they end up doing is typically either increasing regulations or if they decrease them, it's superficial. Um, but the one that really was the great deregulator was a Democrat and it was Jimmy Carter. So good on him. Um, Jason Lee says, um, is it the IRD underfunded? I don't know what the IRD is. Um, missing all the IPA now from Jason. And then Pat Johnson went on to say Clinton was the only modern day president to have the government operating a surplus, not a deficit. That's sort of true. Um, according to the way the government does their bookkeeping, that's true. Um, his final, I think his final four years of his presidency all had surpluses. Um, and the fourth year of the fourth budget year happened um, where I think W. Bush was what? This was the 2001 budget that Clinton passed and signed, you know, because that went into effect in October of 2000. And then W. was able to preside over much of that budget. That was the fourth of four budgets that Clinton signed with a Republican Congress that had a surplus. But what's interesting is that every year during the Clinton presidency, the national debt went up. So then it makes you wonder, okay, what kind of bookkeeping are they really doing here? Because sure, they had a surplus, but if the debt is going up, then did they really have a surplus? Um, so I think a lot of this goes to accounting methodologies. Um, I've read some articles that said if the if a company, if a corporation operating under standard accounting policies had done their books the same way that the federal government does their books, they would have gotten in trouble. They would have uh, been, um, you know, dealing with accounting irregulations, uh, irregularities. And if they were a public company, they could have, um, you know, been a lot of SEC infractions as a result of that. So, yeah, Clinton. You know, he's, in my opinion, he is less damaging than a lot of the other presidents, right? But to me, he was no saint. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that in the, in the Clinton presidency, he, he uh, along with the Republican Congress, 
cut capital gains taxes from 28 to 20 percent. And what happened as a result? We saw a surge of investment and especially into technology. And that's what really fueled the um, a, a growing economy, especially in the tech sector. And that's what fueled a lot of the additional revenues into the federal government that allowed them to have a surplus. So a lot of times you'll hear people say that if you cut taxes, um, you're going to be damaging revenue. Well, in this case, Clinton cut the capital gains tax and had a great result um, from it. I think that's terrific. Um, Jason Lee says, oh, I meant the IRS. So um, is the IRS underfunded now? I think they are. And I think that's good <laughs> because um, the more have, the IRS is just a very intrusive organization. And if they're stretched thin, then fine. <laughs> you know, they're going to have trouble chasing everyone down. I mean, to me, in a lot of ways, our income tax system is completely unjust and they're the ones that are out there enforcing it. So um, Matthew Brandon goes on to say, yes, they are underfunded. But I'm not too concerned about that, though. Exactly, Matthew. You and I share the same opinion. So it is President's Day. It's a time to kind of reflect on history. It might be fun to do a podcast episode to rank the presidents. Um, in my lifetime and maybe in the 20th century or maybe all time and what the criteria should be. Um, there are definitely some presidents. If you go back in history, there's some there's other ones that I thought were pretty good that don't get as much attention as they should. Like Calvin Coolidge, I think, is a good president. He was a very, um, in relative terms, a laissez-faire um, with the economy. Um, and as a result, they saw a booming economy in the 20s. And and yeah, the stock market crashed, but a lot of that was because of other government, um, you know, typically the Fed monkeying around with with money supply was part of the reason why that the stock market crashed in the late 20s. Um, but anyways, I always thought Calvin Coolidge deserves a lot more credit than he than he gets. So who's your favorite president? Feel free to type those in on the live stream. OK, um, where are we? We're at 46 minutes. I do want to co cover a couple of other topics. Um, there's one interesting one I'll just share with you is on my YouTube channel. If I don't know if you watch any of these podcasts on YouTube, my subscriber count has almost doubled in the last week. It's incredible. Um, I, my The views, the number of hours of consumption of my podcasts has just skyrocketed in the last two weeks. And you know why? It's because of Eileen Gu. Um, Eileen Gu, uh, the Olympic um, medalist, uh, a controversial figure, right? We, we, I did a whole podcast about her. Um, she had uh, was born in San Francisco an American citizen uh, born to a Chinese mother and an American uh, father. She ended up becoming a great ski jump champion here in the United States. And then she made the decision for the 2022 Olympics to go and represent China in the Beijing Olympics. And that created all kinds of controversy about, um, you know, which team she should be on. And a lot of Americans were angry at her. Of course, the Chinese loved her. She's a rock star in China. And I did a whole podcast about that. And the podcast itself, you know, I was praising Eileen Gu because I thought she was pursuing her own happiness. 
And she was trying not to make this about America versus China. She'd say she was an American when she was in America, and she was Chinese when she was in China. But, you know, to give herself credit, this woman, she's, a, she's spectacular. She's an amazing athlete. She is going to Stanford. She graduated high school in three years, a piano prodigy. Um, and she is a, a Louis Vuitton model. So she's just blown up in China, and she's going to make a lot of money in China. Good for her. You know, the fact that she went and wore the flag for China, to me, it doesn't matter. Because the whole, the whole notion of the Olympics, in my opinion, is about individual achievement. The whole bit about nationalism and medal counts and what nation you are, to me, that is like not the point. <laughs> the point of the Olympics is to celebrate what these amazing athletes are doing on the slopes, on the ice, you know, in, in, in their particular sport of specialty. Well, I got so many responses from people. I mean, it was amazing. Um, and a lot of them were Chinese people because they were saying there were so many Americans that were hating on Eileen Gu. And they were surprised by my comments. They're like, I can't believe it. You're an American. You're actually standing up for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Um, and it was interesting that there were a lot of people in China that better understood what life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are about than a lot of the Americans here in the United States that were just so embittered because Eileen Gu chose not to represent the United States in the Olympics. So um, Jason Lee uh, goes on to say, uh, nice to see you doing live uh, greetings from Hong Kong. So, Jason, thanks again for joining us. Wow, from Hong Kong. That's great. Um, and uh, he goes on to say half of the China hockey team are Americans. Nobody talks about that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cases of people switching teams going because a lot of people can qualify for other nations based on their um, genealogy. You know, if if they have a parent or a grandparent that was a native of certain nations. They can qualify for those teams. This happens all the time. And it even happens outside the Olympics. It happens in World Cup soccer. It happens in the major in baseball, uh, the World Baseball Classic. We see this happen all the time. But I guess my point I wanted to share is, is that I'm just really happy and I'm very thankful Um uh, you know, my, my subscriber count is almost doubled on, on YouTube. Um, so I'm excited. I, I'm trying to get up to a thousand subscribers on YouTube because once I get to that point, then I can monetize my podcast. Then I can do a number of things. I can uh, not only have ads on my podcast where I can make a little bit of money, but at the same time, I can do super chat, which is um, where people can pay money um, to, to leave a message on the live stream. And a lot of people just want to support content that they like, and I want to give them every opportunity to support me. Um, so I'm working my way to a thousand subscribers and this is very helpful. And I just wanted to share that story because I think it's kind of cool. I'm really happy about it. Um, Jason Lee goes on to say the Olympics is about unity, not divisiveness, enough fights. Well, that was the kind of the idea, right? That people thought by having these Olympics in general, you know, going back many decades, that it's an opportunity for all the nations to come together and to build relations and to compete. But there's a lot of people that think that coming out of these Beijing Olympics, that relations between America and China are now worse. And 
a lot of reporters have said that from American reporters, when they went to China, they never were never able to see the rest of China. They were basically quarantined and sectioned off and only allowed to travel um, in the Olympic zones, as it were. That doesn't do much to um, to foster relations as well. So, but there's just you hear a lot of kind of funky stories about all of us. And it's something. Mike Ryan on the live stream. Hey, John, how you doing? Mike, nice to see you on the live stream. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, okay, so we're at 52 minutes, and there are a couple more things I wanted to mention. Here's one I want to share with you. Sometimes, you know, when we are doing everything we can in our life, right, to to live successfully to have a good family life, to have a good career. And we want to kind of work in some good vacations, right? And vacations are important. I've shared with you some of the stories of my own vacations. But sometimes we just take for granted the amazing places where we already live. And if you are living in any major city, I would encourage you to pretend to be a tourist, and you will open up your eyes. What I did on Saturday, this is a kind of a neat story. Um, Saturday, I think I told you, I, I, I kind of restarted my meetup group. It's called Old Guys That Ride BMX. And so I get a bunch of guys together and we kind of ride our, our BMX bikes that we used to ride back when we were teenagers. And uh, we just go for rides just all over the place. And so we scheduled a ride in Pacific Beach and we rode from Pacific Beach all the way up to the La Jolla Cove and back and on Saturday. And it was incredible. It was so awesome. We show up at Palisades Park, which is kind of in the north part of Pacific Beach here in San Diego. And right there above the bluff is a small little grassy area. And I had picked that because on someone else had created it as a ride that was recommended. So I chose that for this particular ride. Well, when we got there... There were over 100 people in this park overlooking the bluffs doing yoga. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And so they had a yoga instructor and all these people on yoga mats, and they're all doing all these poses. And it was really, really cool. And I was trying to, like, check it out with, without trying to look like I was ogling anyone. Um, but it was just amazing. And it was such a beautiful day. And people were all there for all the right reasons. And it was so cool. We ended up going from there. We we rode up through Bird Rock, got up into La Jolla, uh, you know, right by Children's Pool where the sea lions were. We kept riding further north, went up to La Jolla Cove, and then kind of went a little bit beyond La Jolla Cove um, out to where the kayakers are um, and kind of that area. I think they used to call it the Clam, which is like this cliff where it's illegal, but you can jump off of it into the ocean. And I remember I did that back in the 1980s. And I had a near heart attack jumping off this thing, um, but it was way up there and really enjoyed just kind of revisiting that whole area. And it was really, really cool. So um, then we worked our way back um, and then we went out to, to Windensea, which is there. I think it's on Nautilus and Neptune, I think, are the two streets. Classic surf beach. You know, it's got that old... Um, Palapa, that kind of thatched uh, roof um, spot there, and all the really you know hotshot surfers were there. 
then rode back through Bird Rock, had a really nice lunch, and then concluded the ride. And I'll tell you, it was awesome. It's just amazing. So, so you know, I, I'm out here in Poway, kind of the inland part of San Diego County, and I take for granted how wonderful of a city this is and all the resources that are available. So I don't care where you live. Pretend to be a tourist and go out and see the things that tourists come to your area to go check out. We take it for granted. Now, granted, here in San Diego, it's a spectacular place, one of the best places in the world to live. But, oh, my God, was it a great day and a great ride. I was just so happy about it. A couple more uh, comments here on the live stream from Jason Lee. It's a closed loop in the Olympics. One just needs to check out the TikTok or podcast by the American team. The American team presented a great image for their country. Okay, right on. Yeah, good on them. But yeah, I guess like a closed loop because I think ever they're partitioned off. They're not really, I guess a lot of the Olympians and then certainly the journalists or the fans, they were kind of sectioned off and they weren't able to kind of travel about um, checking out the rest of the Olympics. Jason Lee goes on to say, the athletes telling you on the ground what it is like over there real time. Yeah, so they're they're sharing in their podcasts. So that's great. I'm really happy for them. What what was the last Olympics? The last Summer Olympics? Wasn't it in Tokyo? And I remember watching the triathlon. because uh, my daughter raced triathlons and watching them ride bikes through uh through the the urban Tokyo, but then they got out into the suburbs and even into some of the countryside. It was wonderful. Really good footage. And it was nice to see the real part of that city rather than the made up uh, version of it that's kind of built for television. Uh, so I, I wish we would have seen a little bit more of that in the Beijing Olympics. That would have been great. Okay, um, we're at 57 minutes. I'm, I got a couple more things I wanted to talk about, but I think I'm going to save them for another podcast. Um, I think there's uh, some local things that are going on here in my hometown of Poway. Um, you know, our mayor was in, involved in a recall uh, petition. I, I want to give an update on that. And then there is Eric Weddle. There's big news with Eric Weddle here locally taking over a local high school uh, coaching position. You know, Eric Weddle just won the Super Bowl with the Rams. I think we'll get into that in a future podcast. But um, yeah, that, that's my plan. I, I'll have a couple more podcasts for you later this week, and we'll share some of those thoughts and comments. So. Um, you know, one other thing you can do, if you want to just connect on social media, you want to continue the conversation, reach out to me um, and you go to my website, connectwithjohnny.com. If you go to connectwithjohnny.com there, um, you'll see all my social media platforms. You know, I'm really active on Twitter and, and Facebook to a good degree. Um, you'll see, you'll be able to click there, get onto my pages there, continue the discussion. All these podcasts are, are, of course, posted on Facebook, but they're also posted on YouTube and love interacting with a lot of the, the viewers on YouTube. There's a lot of comments. We have a lot of back and forth there. So I encourage that. So go to connectwithjohnny.com. I've also updated that, that particular page with about six additional podcast platforms where this podcast is being presented. So I think as far as I can tell, we're on at least 20 different podcast platforms. And I think the nature of our RSS feed, I think it just syndicates across a lot of other platforms. So if you want to just continue the conversation, you can go there to connectwithjohnny.com. Um, I'm working on some other things too, other ideas 
to monetize the podcast. I'm hoping to talk more about those in the future. Um, but really all about this pursuit of happiness. That's kind of the, the theme going forward uh, to really evangelize. I always talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but I really want to get deeper into the world of pursuing happiness um, and what that means and what it represents and, and how different people have kind of different perceptions of what pursuing happiness really should be. Um, and who is entitled to those rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're going to get a lot more into that, into some future podcasts. Um, Matthew Brannigan um, says, I sometimes listen on iHeartRadio and on Spotify. Well, well, thanks, Matthew. I appreciate that. Appreciate your support. Matthew, uh, Matthew, I enjoy interacting with you on Twitter. We sometimes go back and forth there as well. So that's a lot of fun. Okay. Um, Well, this is episode number 267 of the John Riley Project, working our way to a thousand. We'll get there at some point, uh, but I want to thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. Like I said, if you, if you, one of the things you could really do for me, if you can go on to Apple Podcasts, because I know a lot of people listen on Apple Podcasts. It's by far the most dominant podcast platform. Um, if you can leave a five-star review, if you think we deserve it, but, but don't if you don't think we do. But if you can, if, if you can leave a rating and review, that'd be wonderful. And, if you leave a five-star review, I'll read it on the air. That's my promise and commitment to you. So until next time, thanks again for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you later. Happy President's Day, folks. We'll see you. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.